0: Colossians chapter 4. We're going to finish Colossians today, even if it takes us three hours. Let's kidding. <laughs> but it is amazing that uh, last night, as, as I was teaching this, I wanted to bring this particular book to a close. We've been in Colossians a long time. We, we were very uh, uh, in depth uh, in our studies. But as we come now to where we are today and uh, looking, looking ahead to the, to the future, and, and there, as I've been sharing in the last few weeks, that there are some things that I, I want to share as to what's going on in the, in the world today. Nonetheless, last night it, 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 it came to uh, an understanding in my own heart that uh, uh, this is as contemporary uh, a passage for uh, what is going on today today. As, as, as could ever be, and, 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 and you'll see that as we go along. The book of Colossians itself is a tremendous statement by the Apostle Paul to a church that was facing false teaching in a grand sense, as the church of Jesus Christ is facing it today. And so what, what Paul had to establish by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit was the superiority of Jesus Christ. The superiority of Jesus Christ over all things. The sovereignty of Jesus Christ as not only the Son of God, but God the the Son. The superiority, the sovereignty, and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. In Christ, we have all that we need. In him. Why? Because he's the creator. He's the one who gives us everything that we need for life and godliness. He's the one who sustains us. And this was what he established in the hearts and the lives of those in the church in Colossae. As we begin to close out the, uh, the letter that uh, Paul wrote. He spent the first two chapters specifically on the doctrine of Christ and how it affects those who are being uh, deceived. And then he spends the last two chapters, for the most part, dealing with the application of the doctrines, the application of the Word of God. So as we close out now here in verse 5 of Colossians, He's giving us even more practical wisdom. And he says, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how ye ought to answer every man. So in this summation to a wonderfully powerful letter written to a church facing the attacks of false doctrines, In particular, the heretical teachings of Gnosticism, the combination of Greek philosophy, Jewish legalism, and Eastern mysticism, which is the New Age teachings that continue to invade the church of Jesus Christ today. The Apostle Paul encouraged this assembly of believers with sound practical advice. There at the beginning of chapter 3, he says, seek those things which are above. Then he says, mortify, put to death earthly desires. Then he tells the church, put off the old garments of the world and put on the new garments of the Holy Spirit. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then in Dealing with family matters, he got very specific and he considered well, even though in a very short uh, statement, he said, consider well your roles as wives, as husbands, as children, as parents, as servants, and masters. And then he said, continue in prayer. Continue in prayer. Stay constantly in prayer. And as a whole, Paul would establish his instructions to the church in Colossae, as he often did in his writings to churches. He did so with with his most precious bookends. We oftentimes know the bookends as grace and peace. In this particular sense, the bookends for us have to do with grace. Grace. You go all the way back to the first chapter in Colossians 1, verses 1 and 2, where Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colosse, grace, charis, be unto you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul begins his letter with Grace. And he ends the letter in Colossians 4, verse 18. The salutation by the hand of me, Paul. Remember my bonds. And then he says, grace, charis, be with you. Amen. Those are the bookends. And generally speaking, we know that grace, again, the word charis in the Greek, is usually defined as God's undeserved favor. And while that certainly is a blessed definition for every believer, the word charis has a a fuller, deeper meaning that enhances our understanding of the Lord's undeserved favor toward us. And while the word itself means acceptable, in other words, when it is used for every believer, it, it means that we're accepted by God. His grace means, his undeserved favor means we're accepted by him. His undeserved favor means that we gain benefit from him as those that have been the beneficiaries of his grace. Favor, it means gift. What we have is something that we didn't earn, but was given to us. The word itself could also be used for joy. Joy. It comes from the the, the basic word, or the basis of the word karas comes from kaido, which means rejoice, joy. It also means liberality, the freedom that we have in Christ. It, it, It talks about pleasure, the true pleasure that comes by living a life that is filled with the spiritual understanding of who God is. And grace as well means that God is thankworthy. He's worthy of our thanks. Remember, Paul said, continue in prayer with thanksgiving. But grace, charis, also expresses the graciousness of manner, the graciousness of our acts, especially the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. In other words, understand God's grace this way. God's grace will be influential in every believing heart and will be reflected by every believer's heart. God's grace, again, will be influential in every believing heart and will be reflected by every believer's heart. That is a tremendous understanding of what God's grace is. His undeserved favor is for us. So with that in mind, consider its implications and its effects in Paul's exhortations when he says, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. The first thing that Paul says here, at least in this particular section now, is walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. The exhortation to the church is that they walk wisely before people who are without Christ. Now, I'm going to deal with that issue of of the word without here in just a moment. But he is talking about walking wisely before people who are without Christ, which means they are not within the confines of the body of Christ. Let me give you this example. In the old days, of course, let's take Jerusalem, for example. Jerusalem was 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 a city built with walls around it. You are either within Jerusalem or you are without Jerusalem. Do you understand the picture? Now that's Old English. That's an Old English understanding. You're either within or you're outside or without. So without means outside. So we are to walk wisely before people who are without Christ, not within the confines of the body of Christ, specifically outside of the body of Christ. Now, that phrase, them that are without, refers to the unbelievers of the world, those who are walking through life without Christ and God. Now we have a, a, a more modern understanding of the word without. You either have something with you, or you have something that's or you don't have something with which means you're without it. So you are now outside of a true relationship and fellowship with the creator of the universe. Now consider for a moment what this means. They are walking, the unbelievers of this world, they are walking without hope beyond this life. They are walking without assurance of life hereafter with God. They are without help in facing trials and traumas of this life. That's why there is so much panic in the world today because of the coronavirus. They are walking without that peace. The peace that can only come from the Prince of Peace, Yeshua, Jesus. They are without security. They are without God's care and deliverance. They are without fellowship with God and his family of believers. And one other thing. Actually, two other things. But one other thing. They are without freedom from guilt. Don't ever think that a person who says, Oh yeah, I don't need God. God. Don't ever think that they never have a sleepless night. I've talked to a number of people who've come to the Lord from that particular place of having a hatred for, you know, they say that we don't believe in God, but they have a hatred for God. How can you have a hatred for something you don't believe in? You see how how insane that is? That's what the devil does to people. And they say, you know what? Uh, For the longest time, I couldn't sleep because I kept feeling this weight of guilt in my life. That was what God was doing to bring that person to understand that they needed a Savior and that Jesus Christ is the only one who can save. So those without freedom from guilt have no assurance of the forgiveness of sins. And lastly, They are without light. They're without light. No no freedom from the darkness of death and of the grave. The scriptures paint a sharp contrast between unbelievers who are without Christ and believers who are within Christ. Paul's comparable and companion passage in Ephesians chapter 2, he states, Paul states this in Ephesians 2 verses 11 through 13, he says, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. Uncircumcision, the Gentile unbelievers, called the, which are called by the circumcision, of course the circumcision being the Jewish people. That at that time you were without Christ. Notice again this phrase, without Christ. You were outside of Christ and you were without Christ. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, And strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh, or brought near by the blood of Christ. This is the reason why we as believers in Jesus Christ need to walk in wisdom toward them. They need Jesus. They need Jesus. Those who are without Christ. Especially now in this crisis. Especially now during this pandemic. They don't need to be hoarding everything that we ourselves cannot go out and buy right now. You can have all the things in the world and be completely lost. Secondly, Paul says we need to redeem the time. We need to redeem the time. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time. Believers are to walk in wisdom toward those who are without Christ while redeeming or making the best use of their time. That is what it means to redeem. To make the best use of our time. Now this is one of those things that we need to put up against the mirror of the word of God. Where we are to examine ourselves to see that we're in the faith. Are we making the best use of the time that God has given us? I'll tell you this. Before the pandemic, it would be easy to say that we just took life as it came. You know, it was okay. You know, for the most part, we were happy. We were doing this. We were doing that. We were all excited. Man, we had season tickets to this game and that game and to this Ballet or whatever things, you know, and everything was just hunky dory until what? Until all of a sudden we're being told. You need to restrict your, your movements. You need to restrict, you know, even some states are telling you there's no no going out of your homes. You've got to stay in your house. House arrest in California, New York, Illinois, New Jersey. Wow. We can look back and say, boy, did I make the best use of my time then? I better make the best use of my time now. The Greek word for redeeming, by the way, exagorazo is the the Greek word. It means to buy up. Buy up more time. Buy up more time to serve the Lord. It also means to ransom. It means to improve an opportunity. That's a a good sense of understanding the word of of redeeming. to, to, To improve an opportunity. Maybe we didn't shine the light of the glory of Christ as much as we should have back before the pandemic. But now we need to shine the light in our lives. Jesus himself said, you're the light of the world. Remember that, Matthew chapter 5? You're the light of the world. It also means to rescue from loss. There are a lot of people losing today. Some of them are losing their their salvation. Sadly, some are losing their faith. God has called us to redeem the time. We need to rescue time from our... From loss. That's quite a word, isn't it? To redeem. Believers are to walk thoughtfully. Think about that. Walk thoughtfully. Consider how to live for Christ before the world. We are to walk righteously and godly, guarding every step. Every step that we take, we need to guard for the sake of Christ. And we are to walk doing good works. One of the saddest things that, that I have seen in this, pan, in this pandemic that's going on is that the world is reflecting something. It is reflecting that they love not their neighbors. They love not their neighbors. They go and buy up everything off the shelves. When their neighbors show up, they can't get anything. That's, that's a hard issue, folks. Yes, it's panic. Yes, it's fear. But it's a heart nature. It's a heart issue. I, I, I'm reminded of what happened in 1999, right before Y2K. I used to say, Y2K, which means, and you what? It's all about you? You? People were buying stuff, hoarding it, but but it was different. I'll tell you why it's different. Because they would go out and and they would buy property up in in the hills, uh, away from everybody, you know, bunkers, and they'd store everything because Y2K, man, that was it, man. The computers were all going to die. There was no, you know, no communication. You know, Satan and the Antichrist was going to just all of a sudden pop up. And what happened? You know what's more dangerous? Doing all of this and hoarding in your own neighborhoods when others around you have nothing because you've taken it all. What does that say? We need to walk doing good works. We seek to grasp every moment to live for Christ before the loss of this world. We look for opportunities to do good and to let our light shine before men. We are to make every opportunity to bear witness by the way that we live. In Romans 6 verse 4, Paul said, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Not walk like we did when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but we walk in newness of life because that life Is the life that is given to us by Jesus Christ. A spiritual life that we did not have because we were spiritually dead. Now we're alive. Galatians 5, verse 6. This then, uh, this I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Well, that's very clear, isn't it? Walk in the spirit. I'm having problems with this and that. Well, walk in the Spirit, man, and not in the flesh. And you shall not fulfill then the lust of the flesh. But you still have to surrender to Jesus. You still have to surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit and say, you know what, it's not me, Lord. It has to be you. Ephesians 4, verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, Walk worthy of the vocation, the, the very thing that God has given to each and every one of us. We all have different gifts. Oh, we have some similar gifts, certainly. But we all have different gifts because we all go different places. We all live in different areas. We all do different things so that we can continue to take the one thing that we have in common, which is our love for Jesus Christ. And notice how many times we see the word walk. Walk is how we live for God every day. Ephesians 5 verse 2. And walk in love. As Christ also has loved us. And has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. Folks, we need to smell sweet when we're loving people. There's too much stinkiness today. And hopefully that stinkiness isn't coming from the believers. No, our walk is a sweet-smelling walk. People will know there's something different about us. We'll talk about being different in just a moment. But as we graciously walk in wisdom and redeem our time efficiently, let's also do this. Speak with grace always. Speak with grace always. This is the reason I entitled this study, Grace in All Things. Grace in All Things. Verse 6 Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are to always speak with grace, answering and sharing what it is that makes our lives different. What an expectation that God has for us. We are to be different. Lord, we are not, uh, the Lord does not want us to be living different because we're proud. We are different because we're humbled. We're humbled by the work of the cross. We're humbled by the work that Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. We are humbled by the very fact that he died for us when we deserve nothing. We're humbled. That's what makes us different. Before we came to Jesus, we were proud people. Proud of our heritage, proud of of our backgrounds, proud of this, proud of that. The only thing that we can be proud of now is our sin, right? Because that's all we bring to the cross is our sin. And there's nothing to be proud of in that. But we can thank God for his amazing grace his undeserved favor that he gave us through his son. But again, what an expectation God has for us to be living a life so different and so righteous and that that, that people ask us what it is that makes us different. Well, what an open door that is. We have to ask ourselves, though, am I living a life that is different? First of all, is it different from the way we lived before we came to Christ? It better be. But is our life different because of Jesus? Are we completely and radically different than what we were when we were still in the world? Am I living a life that is godly? Am I living a life that is righteous? When we're walking among unbelievers, we are to guard our speech and conversation and by the way the word conversation we use it a lot in the King James Bible is the word that means conduct so think about that when we speak are we expressing our conduct I know a lot of people struggled with with impure language when they were in the world and they said all kinds of words you know ugly words and uh they came to Christ and that was the first thing that you know one would slip out and go oh man oh I didn't want to say that oh oh and little by little you know what did the, what did the Lord do he took it out took it out but we still had to watch you know because you know there you are nailing a, uh, hammering a nail <laughs> what are you going to say Ouch, yeah. <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> so understand what I mean when I say that we are to guard our speech and our conversation. We, we, we're to make sure that we speak with grace. With grace in, in Greek is in kariti, from the word charis. We're to speak with grace. That is, with Kindness with courtesy, with graciousness. That's what the world needs today. Where's are to season our conversation with salt. That is, we are to flavor and turn our conversation to tasteful and enjoyable subjects and away from corruptible and tasteless subjects. We used to think, you know, that uh, uh, the kind of speech that people have in the world today, you know, uh, that's just honest reality, you know, real. To... No, no, it's it's awful. It's ugly. It's ugly speech to the heart and to the mind. That's why speech is so important to the Lord. Salt is a preserving uh, aspect. It, it's, it's a preserving compound. But it's also an influential compound. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. Because... The fact is, the salt is, we're, we're called the salt of the earth by the Lord. Because we're to be a spiritual influence on those in need of God's light and God's love. So what happens when this is done? When we season our, our words and our, our lives with salt? What happens when this is done? What happens is actually striking. Unbelievers will begin to take notice of our lives and of our conduct and of our speech. That that, that we are different in a good and wholesome way. And think about this. A lot of people used to remember what we were before, and all of a sudden, we are really radically different. I remember years and years ago, when I first came to know the Lord, right after after I got out of high school. And I was there in my first year of college. And I was still hanging around with a lot of my friends. You know, we used to play football together. We used to do things together. We did all kinds of stuff. You know, we grew up together. The first thing I ever the first thing I ever did after coming to know Jesus is go to them and I tell them about the Lord. And I got laughed at, I got mocked. But that was okay. It didn't keep me from every day going to them. You need to come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I'd get they did say all kinds of stuff. They still loved me, I think. But years would go by, we would not see each other for many, many years. One day I got a call from one of those friends. And he called me to tell me, he said, Charlie, I just came to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. We're talking more than 20 years, more than 20 years after all of that. And he said, you know, all I can remember is everything you said to me back then. And I mocked you. And I kept thinking, nah, 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 nah. Until I came to realize everything you said was what I needed. And I just said, Praise the Lord, man. You owe me 20 bucks. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I didn't say that. (laughs) I said, I love you. Always have. I haven't stopped praying for you. There's still others. And many other people, they see you different, and they realize something's changed. Some will ask us what it is that gives us such peace and security and assurance in life. In fact, during times like this, it is then that we have a unique opportunity to witness. It is then that we can reach out and bring in those who are so tragically without Jesus Christ, lost and doomed in despair and hopelessness forever. What an opportunity we have today to redeem our time as believers in Jesus Christ and to tell people their hope needs to be in one person, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God the Son, the Redeemer, the Savior, the Messiah, the Creator, God who died for you something else that we need to do we need to be prepared to answer every man with gracious words we need to be prepared to answer every man with gracious words he says that you may know how you ought to answer every man so let's face reality folks the vast majority of people around us are lost The vast majority of people around us are lost. They might be kind, they possibly are very thoughtful people, they might even be religious people, friendly people, but they still need Jesus. Our conversation should get them asking questions, and when they do, we need to know how to answer them. The Apostle Peter was also also concerned that, that we give answers to those with major eternal questions. This is the reason why in 1 Peter 3 verse 15, Peter says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, which means set God aside in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope. Why? Where do you get that hope that you have? Why is it that you live without fear? That's a good good question to answer by saying, Oh no, I do live by fear. I live by the fear of the Lord. And when things overwhelm me, I run to him. My hope is not in me or in this world or in anyone. My hope is in Jesus Christ. A reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. They see the meekness, but they realize meekness is not weakness. It is the power of a sound mind in the word of God. And again, the fear is the fear of the Lord. Consider what Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 verses 12 through 16. He said, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Be an example, he says, of the believers. Now remember, Timothy was a pastor. And, and, And Paul is encouraging him that this is the kind of pastor's heart he needed to have. Then he said this, till I come, give attendance to reading. Now that means give complete attention to the reading of the word of God. To exhortation that's found in the word of God and to doctrine, which is found only in the word of God. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy uh, with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery, you've been called to be a pastor teacher. to Tend the flock and teach the flock. Meditate upon these things. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, which means give yourself completely to the word of God, that thy profiting may appear to all. If it is profiting me as a pastor, I'm not going to hold hoard that, I'm going to give it out to you. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. I don't do what I do just for me. I want you to be saved. I want to be able to know that God will say to you, Well done, my good and faithful servants. Well done. Enter in to the joy of this kingdom. Later on, when Timothy was overwhelmed by the pastorate, when he was overwhelmed by the the pressures that he was facing, this is what Paul told him in 2 Timothy 1 verse 13. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Hold fast to the very word that I had encouraged you long time ago to continue in them. Remember that just a few verses earlier, I read it to you back in verse 7. He did not give us a spirit of fear but of power and of love. And of a sound mind. Because Timothy was struggling. He was struggling. Well, we come now to last things in this letter. What I like to call things that last. Last things. Things that last. Because even though Paul is talking about people that he's mentioning now as he closes out his letter. There are still some things that we need to catch in this passage. Take, for example, Colossians 4, verse 7. All my state, he goes on to say, all my state shall Tychicus declare unto you. In other words, the state of my being right now, where I am in prison in Rome. All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. Now Tychicus delivered this epistle to the church in Colossae from Paul's prison cell in Rome. Tychicus is now the messenger. Both the epistle to the Colossians and the epistle to the Ephesians were written about the same time, hence their similarities. Ephesians would go to Ephesus by someone else. But Paul also wrote a letter to the church in Laodicea, which was close to Colossae which the churches were to trade back and forth between them, not to mention the personal letter that he wrote to Philemon. So there were three letters then that Tychicus would be taking. He was the postal carrier bearing these three letters to Asia Minor. But Paul—it it is what Paul said about Tychicus. Paul said some beautiful things about this servant. He said he's a beloved brother. He's a faithful minister. He's a, fel- a fellow servant in the things of the Lord. That, that is a blessed commendation from Paul. To, to receive that from Paul, is it, you know, you listen, wow. We need to take care of this guy. Well, look at verse 8. Whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. Hmm. He's going to come to do for you what he did for me. He comforted my heart. And he wants to know how you guys are doing because he came to know how I was doing. You know, it, it, it really helps when we go to someone that we haven't seen maybe for a time and say, you know what, how are you doing? How are things going in your life? You know, I personally, I would like to believe that I can do that to everybody that's in this congregation. It makes it a little hard. It's sometimes a little unrealistic. But it doesn't mean that we don't care. In fact, we do care if we don't see you. Of course, today's not a good day to say that because most of you are watching the TV. But we care for you. We pray for you. We want to have that kind of a heart like Tychicus. That's something that lasts. And he goes on and says in verse 9, With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, which means he's from Colossae, they shall make known unto you all things which are done here. Well, this is more than likely the Onesimus for which the letter for Philemon was written. The runaway slave, Onesimus, who ran away from his master Philemon, who actually met Paul in Rome, that is Onesimus, and received Jesus Christ, who Paul was sending back now to Philemon with that personal letter, which you can read right before the book of Hebrews, by the way, uh, begging Philemon forgiveness and beseeching this master to set Onesimus free from his slavery, because now he's your brother in Christ. And then in verse 10 it says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you. And Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas. We don't know him by Marcus, we actually know him as Mark. His whole name was John Mark. And he was the the nephew of Barnabas, the fellow laborer with Paul early on in Paul's ministry go all the way back to chapter 13 of the book of Acts he says touching whom ye receive commandments if he come unto you receive him I'll talk about that in a moment no, I'll talk about it now <laughs> I'll talk about it now Paul and Barnabas as I said were fellow workers early on in Paul's ministry first first missionary journey mark was taken with with Barnabas to learn the ministry but there was a lot of fear in, in mark and he didn't he just wasn't uh, fit for it at the time obviously and uh, was frightened and left the mission Barnabas wanted to take him on the second missionary journey but Paul said no so there was contention between Paul and Barnabas. Paul would take Silas, Barnabas would take Mark. You know, people say time heals all wounds. Well, time does heal some wounds. And certainly along the way, there was a healing that took place. Mark was now in prison with Paul toward the end of Paul's life, and much was healed with them. And then we're told that Jesus, not Jesus, Jesus, but a person named Yehoshua, or Joshua, which is called Justice, a Greek name, or of the circumcision, which means all those mentioned here in verses 10 and 11 are actually Jewish believers. These only, he said, are my fellow workers unto the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. These only are my fellow workers. This is all I have right now where I'm at. These are my fellow workers. Aristarchus was a believer who stood as a companion of Paul, of Paul's in trial and in trials. We know from Scripture that he was a member of the church of Thessalonica. You can read that in Acts 19 and 20. Aristarchus was one of the believers who was attacked by the violent mob in Ephesus, Acts 19, verse 29. He went with Paul to minister in Asia and traveled with Paul to Rome after Paul's arrest, apparently being charged with the, with the same crime as Paul, which, by the way, was, was treason. Aristarchus represents the true companion of his fellow believers through thick and thin. This is something that lasts. These, these are things that last. To be a fellow worker of the gospel with someone through thick and thin, through the hard times and the good times. To the wicked times and the wonderful times. That is what we have to face. And as I mentioned, the name Yehoshua or Joshua or Yeshua is mentioned, called Justice, was also a Jewish believer. And Paul of these men said, these only are my fellow workers unto the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort to me. When you consider the work of the ministry, always remember this. Each and every one of us has a part to comfort one another in ministry. We don't comfort one another in ministry when we fill our thoughts and our minds with, com- with complaints. Complaining about one thing or another. And as I said earlier, ministries, especially at a time like today, is not an easy thing. Ministries is very difficult right now. Because we only want to do what's right. We only want to do what God has called us to do. And because we are such an opinionated society, we, we have opinions as to what we think is w- what others should do. Well, keep your opinions to yourself. I'm not mad, mad at you guys, okay? I'm not... But what I'm saying is to those that feel that they've, they've got to sound off, Before you do, would you pray? Would you really ask God that maybe what he's trying to say is to you? We'll we'll do the same. We'll pray, Lord. If there's something we need to do that we didn't do and something that we haven't done that we should do, then Lord, you speak to us right now because that's what we need today. That's where our trust in God makes a difference during this time of panic. Verses 12 and 13, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Paul mentions him in chapter 1, because in chapter 1 he gives us the idea and the understanding that this Epaphras was more than likely the pastor of the church. I'll talk about him in a second. Because he says, For I bear him record that he has a great zeal for you, and them that are in Laodicea, and them in Hierapolis or Hierapolis. Uh, Laodicea, Colossae, and Hierapolis were uh, three little towns that were very near each other, and so letters were uh, uh, passed around uh, to them. But as I said, Epaphras was more than likely the pastor of the church of Colossae, who had come to visit Paul in Rome and, and told the apostle of the church and its, uh, uh, and its condition. There he was in Rome, but always praying for his church. Always praying for his church. He was a perfect example of a believer who continues in prayer, in this case, praying for his church to stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. You can rest assured that your pastors are doing the same thing. That when we pray, we pray that you stand perfect and complete in all of God's will. And then lastly, verses 14 through 18, he mentions Luke. Luke, the beloved physician. And Damas greet you. Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and Nymphos. The name Nymphos means bridegroom. So we know that this is a, a man. And the church which is in his house. Nymphos was obviously from Laodicea. Uh, Laodicea would later become an apostate church many, many years later. But at this time, uh, it was a solid church and met in the home of Nymphus. And when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord that thou fulfill it. The the salutation by the hand of me, Paul, remember my bonds. Grace be with you. Amen. Luke, the beloved physician, endeared to the hearts of the believers as both a doctor and a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke, of course, would be the author of the Gospel of Luke. And he would be the author of the book of Acts. but a servant of the Lord. Then he mentions Demas, who was a believer, but he would later backslide. And this is important for us to understand. That not everyone stays on that level when times of trouble happen. Listen to the words of Paul toward the end of his life. The last letter he writes, he writes to Timothy before his execution. In just a few verses toward the end of that letter, in 2 Timothy 4, verse 10, Paul said, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. Now, some would argue and say, well, Demas has forsaken Paul, but maybe he didn't forsake the Lord. No, you have to read. Notice what he said. Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. He looked at the world. He had been serving with Paul, the great apostle Paul. Paul wouldn't call himself the greatest of apostles, but you know what? He was one of the greatest of the apostles, the way God used him. The fact is, most of the New Testament is written by the Apostle Paul. And yet, Demas forsook him. Demas left him. And Paul knew why. Having loved this present world. Wow. And departed. He mentions to others, but not in the same context. He mentions Crescens to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. They went. We don't know whether it was the same reasons or not. But Paul mentions them nonetheless. Going back a couple of verses to Archippus. Archippus is mentioned in Philemon, verse 2, as a fellow soldier. And you'll notice that he was encouraged to finish what God had called him to do. Whatever his task was, he needed to be encouraged to complete his mission or assignment. The Apostle Paul has told us that we need to finish what God has begun in us. He who began a good work in you is able to complete it unto the day of Christ. Philippians 1, verse 6. He tells Timothy to complete his and fulfill his ministry. The Lord's telling us, fulfill the ministry God has given you. Even in trying times, fulfill it. And so Paul, the believer who was faithful to the point of suffering, imprisonment and possible martyrdom signs his own letter even though he probably dictated it to somebody who could write it because Paul was in chains at the time, somehow he was able to sign his letter, his own name, to it. And then he said to them, remember, remember my bonds. His wrists were chained, so he had to have a, that secretary write the letter. But he says, remember my imprisonment, remember my bonds, remember my chains. That is, pray for me. If I were to ask you to remember me about something, my asking is, please pray for me. Remember me in this this ministry. Pray for me. And he finishes by saying, grace be with you. The favor and blessings of God, let it be with you. All of which we do not deserve, but which he pours upon us anyway. We don't deserve it, but God loves us. And he gives it to us. His grace. His undeserved favor. His joy. His benefits. I want to close by reading four verses from Colossians chapter 3, the very first four. As a reminder to you of the importance of this book to our lives in these past few months. That we've been in this wonderful book. I say Months. I'm thinking it was a year, but that's okay. Colossians 3, verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Be encouraged, folks. Be encouraged today. No matter what's going on in the world today, around us, and in our own home, in our own neighborhoods, in our own city, be encouraged. You're dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. And Christ, who is your life, when he appears, and shall you also appear with him in glory